from time to time in the life of the church, there needs to be a wake-up call. A call to some simple and central and basic things. One of these is Christianity is a converting religion. It is evangelistic. It is persuasive and expansive and missionary. It is not coercive. It does not use the sword, manipulation, or brainwashing. But it does proclaim and persuade and plead and pray. And where this is not believed and practiced, Christianity ceases to be Christianity and starts to become another religion with another king who no longer says, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. Listen to this quote. When we lose a passion to see people won over to Jesus, we lose Jesus. Christianity is a soul-winning, outreaching, missionary faith, or it's not true Christianity. And we need to be reminded of this. I need to be reminded of this. Because it's just amazing how listless we can become sometimes, even though we call ourselves Christians. Little by little, our focus becomes more and more inward. And we can go for periods of times, sometimes months, and not think about those who perish. We can become dull and spiritually callous. And we don't even ask if we believe in hell or lostness or the freshness of the gospel and the command of Jesus. We just go about our in-house religious business like a medical clinic that sees fewer and fewer patients and has more and more staff meetings until there's nothing, nothing left but a smooth running program for the doctors and nurses and their families. This is what happens in many churches. Think about those words. Can I get a witness? Not coming up. Oh, that <laughs> I'm looking, I'm watching up there, and I'm I can't see, and I'm like, nothing's happening. Oh, great. How's that for a good start? <laughs> the preacher's lost. <laughs> uh, all right, three weeks ago, uh, we preached on a passage out of Ephesians, and, and I would call it uh, a sister passage. It's a parallel passage. It's amazing how Ephesians and Colossians have a lot of very, very similar content, similar words that Paul's using. But before we get into that, I introduced it by saying, we're in a war. And 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, Paul is reminding Timothy about that. And he says, fight the good fight, keeping faith and a good conscience. Fight the good fight of faith. And at the end of his life, he says he has fought the good fight of faith. Fight the good fight. And I emphasize that's what it is. It's a good fight, but it is a fight. And we are in a war, and I'm going to remind us again, we're in this war, every single one of us. And you don't get to choose whether or not you're in this war. You're in it. We're all involved together. A lot of passages talk about 
being in this war, and I referenced some of them in Hebrews and Peter and Timothy. Paul says we have weapons that we fight with in Corinthians and in Ephesians. And he says this fight, this war, this battle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the rulers and powers and authorities in the dark world. Every one of us is in it. And I said, and this is important, you don't get to go home on furlough. Not until chapters 21 and 22 of Revelation. There is no furlough. And sometimes I have a tendency to want to make believe, well, there's a little pause and there's a peacetime here for a little while, and I'm just going to take it easy. That's not correct, and it's not true. And I, then I said, okay, so let's look at that in two different ways. The first way, I called it a battlefield. I said, there's a battle in that war, and the battle is about your time. And I used a passage from Ephesians, Ephesians 5, 15. Ephesians 5, 15. If you remember, it says, Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. So then... Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. A battle for our time. Now, even though I preached on this three weeks ago, I have to confess, over that three weeks, guess what I did? I wasted some time. <laughs> and as I'm getting ready to do this sermon, I'm looking back at the last three weeks and I'm going, I preached on this for crying out loud. What am I doing? I need to be more disciplined with my time. The same thing's going to happen, I'll tell you right now, with this sermon this morning on the second battlefield. I know it. And I need to be reminded. So you'll see us on some Sundays up here, and you may go, I've already heard that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Peter didn't do that. Peter said, look, I'm going to tell you these things, even though you already know them. I want to remind you to stir you up. So you're going to hear us say things again and again, because we are... We're just people. We're human, and we're sinful sometimes, and so we need to be reminded. The second battlefield that I think is important has to do with our speech. And that's going to be Colossians 4, verses 2 through 6. And, I, and you're going to see some similar language in here from the Ephesians passage. It's very interesting. And I'm going to break this into two parts. So I'm going to do verse 4, 2, and 3, and 4, and then I'll do verses 5 and 6. So here's the passage. These passages this morning are in the ESV. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open up to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech 
always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Amen. Some similar things. The NESB says, devote yourselves to prayer. This word continues steadfastly, can be a devoted approach. It's an active approach. It's it's a kind of persevering that we're called to do with regards to prayer. Persevere in it. Keep doing it. It's an imperative. There are two imperatives in the passage. The first one is here. The second one is in the second part. So it's a command. And it's active. Something you're supposed to be doing on a continuous basis. Now Paul talks about this a couple of times. He says in Thessalonians, pray without ceasing and give thanks in all circumstances. You've heard that before. In Romans 12, he says, be constant in prayer. Romans 12, 12. In Acts, we saw up in the room, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. Praying at all times is not necessarily limited to constant vocalizing of prayers to God. Rather, it refers to a God consciousness that relates every experience in life to him. I've heard Rob kind of talk about this in the witnessing uh, context sometimes. It does not, however, eliminate the need for persistent and earnestness in prayers, but it's an example that as you're thinking and working through and walking through life, there is a constant praying kind of attitude. Tom has brought this up in some of our meetings. And it becomes, it becomes more of a lifestyle rather than an event. I don't all of a sudden say, okay, it's eight in the morning, I'm going to do my quiet time, and I have to, I have, to have a prayer. I mean, that's okay, that's fine, that's an example of prayer, but that's not praying at all times, is it? Praying at all times is this as you're walking, as you're living, you are praying about different things. And a key attitude here, and it's elsewhere, is an attitude of thanksgiving. In this epistle, it's the fifth time that Paul is talking about thanksgiving. Verse 12, for salvation. Chapter 112, verse Chapter 2-7, for growth. 3-15, for fellowship with Christ and his church. 3-17, for the opportunity to serve. And here, for the guarantee that God will answer prayer in accordance with his purpose. Continues steadfastly, devoted in prayer, and as you're doing that, being watchful in prayer with thanksgiving. A key element is thanksgiving. But these other things are involved that he's asking for. He's saying that he wants us to have God open up us for us a door to the word so that we can declare the mystery of Christ, the gospel, and that I can make it clear as to how I want to speak. 
These are the kinds of things he's asking for prayer about. Prayer is asking God for that which he wants to do and give according to his will. 1 John 5, 14 and 15. Here's a quote that I think is two quotes that I think are very appropriate. It's well been said, the purpose of prayer is not to get man's will done in heaven, but to get God's will done on earth. Praying is not telling God what to do or what to give. Prayer is about having us line up better with God and his will. Another person, to quote here, says, prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance, which is sometimes how, how we have a tendency to think about, why aren't you answering my prayers? It's laying hold of his willingness. If you spend any time in the Gospel of John, especially the Last Supper, and you listen to what Jesus is telling his disciples, four or five times he's telling them, ask for whatever you wish. Asking is praying, and it will be given to you. And a lot of times the health and wealth people will run off the cliff with that and say, I can ask for anything but every single one of those situations has a condition with it. And the condition is something that lines up with God's purpose and plan and his will. And if we're praying and it doesn't do that, we're missing the mark on our prayers. Prayer is not to get my will done it's to get God's will done on earth. And the question becomes then, how can I be used to help that get accomplished? The other thing you'll notice about prayer with Paul, he very seldom asks for prayer for himself. If you look at a study of all the prayers of Paul, he's often praying for the churches and individuals, and he's usually praying not about things, he's praying about spiritual issues and growth and maturing in the likeness of Christ. When he does pray for himself, in First Thess he says, brothers, pray for us. In Second Thess he says, finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored. 2 Thessalonians 3.1. And there's an Ephesians passage, similar to this one again, Ephesians 6.18-20. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that the words may be given to me, in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Does that sound familiar to our passage? Most of the prayers also have to do, just like we studied in an earlier passage in Luke, not with the unsaved, but for the workers. Pray for the workers. Pray for those who are going out and making the proclamation. Paul turns from prayer, which is speech directed to God, to the proclamation of the gospel, which is speech directed to people. That God may open up to us a door that we may speak forth the mystery, and that he, Paul, may make it clear 
Note, Paul did not ask for the prison doors to be opened. He asked that the doors of ministry might be opened. Isn't that interesting? He could have asked for the prison doors to be opened. It isn't what he did. It was more important to Paul that he be a faithful minister than a free man. He's praying for spiritual character and blessing, not personal safety or material help. And a door in the New Testament usually refers to an opportunity. In 1 Corinthians, Paul says, I shall remain in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door of effective service has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Believers are to pray for open doors because it's God who opens them. So now you know what to pray for. Will it work? I did it once. Shortly after, I don't know how shortly after, I prayed, you know, Lord, I, I, I don't want to, I don't want to have a lot of people. I just want one person that I want to witness to. Just one. You ever do that? Don't pray for all kinds of extravagant numbers and situations. Well, be careful what you pray for. Because he'll answer something like that. And sure enough, three, two, three days later, I'm in my office, I'm mentoring instructors in Chicago. One of these women instructors comes into my office and she breaks down in tears. And her life is a mess. So I'm sitting there and I'm going, this woman needs Jesus. And I got to say something about Jesus. <laughs> right? And you know, how the, you know how it goes. All kinds of things start going through your head. Oh, you can't do this now because you're at work. You can't do it here. Uh, I don't know if you should go down that path. But I did. And something like a week or so later, she came back and she said, the Lord saved me. I believe in Jesus. Boom. There it is. Pray for one opportunity. That's all you got to do. Right? At the end of Paul's missionary journey, he and Barnabas reported to the church all things that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. There it is again. Opening a door in these passages is like opening up an opportunity. Next part of the passage, verses 5 and 6. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Here the term walk is used. Now we saw this in Ephesians also. And we said in Ephesians, this word walk was used like six times. It has to do with your, your life, your lifestyle, your everyday living, walking through life. And there's a repeat here. It's, a, it's the same issue in Ephesians as it was here. You do it in wisdom. Now here he's saying, do that, walk in wisdom towards outsiders. 
Outsiders are those outside the church. Making the best use of the time. Or some of the older translations say, redeeming the time. Buying back. Purchasing. This, this term is rich. It's, it's about buying up the opportunity for oneself. That is, to make a wise and sacred use of every opportunity for doing good so that zeal and well-doing are, as it were, the purchase money by which we make the time our own. That comes from one of the lexicons for that term. And the term is actually redeem. Eripateo. Buy back up the opportunity, redeem it for doing something good and zealous. Seize the opportunity when it occurs to do good to those without and thus promote the spread of the gospel. And it's supposed to be for outsiders. Those of us who are born again, we're spiritual insiders because we belong to God's family. But we got to be careful that we don't get a sanctified superiority complex. We're responsible to witness to the lost, to share the gospel to those around us. But we have to be doing it responsibly. We have to walk wisely. What believers are gives credibility to what we say. And that involves wisdom in our choices. So we exhibit carefully planned, consistent, righteous Christian life all the time. Not just Sunday and Wednesday night. Now, you may not think that that may or may not have an effect. I don't know. I was surprised about that one time because I was on a trip to New York. And we were in business meetings during the daytime. And after... The meetings one day, we're back at the hotel sitting in the lobby, and I'm talking with someone, and that person was distressed, kind of sharing with me <clears throat> the sadness in her life, something about her grandmother is dying. And then she looked at me and she said, You have a peace in your life. And I just stopped and I went, oh, now what? <laughs> and, and I'm thinking, oh shucks, you know, that's nothing. Thanks. And guess who shows up to the conversation? The Holy Spirit. And guess what the Holy Spirit says? There. Now. Say it. Tell her where you get that peace from. Now that isn't something that I had deliberately done things, but the Spirit had done things in my life. So when I'm walking daily, hopefully wisely enough, that whatever, whatever I'm demonstrating, the Spirit may use that in another person's life. And the door may open, and you aren't expecting it, but you need to be ready for it. And then when it opens, you know what you're supposed to do? You're supposed to go through it. You're not supposed to stand outside the door and go, 
Oh, wow. I wonder if I should go through that door. No. You go through the door. And you fight. Now, this is fighting the good fight in some ways. You are trying to get rid of the nervousness. You're trying to get rid of any kind of fear. You're going to need to be sending up little arrow prayers to the Spirit saying, you got to help me with this because I'm not up to it. Are you with me? Are you with me? On this? If we who say we're believers live as fools, outsiders or unbelievers will denigrate the faith and shun the gospel. And we can live like fools, we can live for money. We can do har foolish and harmful things. We can be legalistic. There's all kinds of things we can do that are not walking wisely with regards to this topic. Back to the passages in Timothy, one of the things Paul told him a couple of times was, guard what has been entrusted to you. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. And this is the essence of the fight of faith. We fight to be faithful to the gospel. We are entrusted with the treasure of the gospel. This is a wake-up call to every one of us, I think, including myself. I need to be reminded we're not immune to the temptation to wander and ignore the fight. Don't give up the fight. Be faithful to the gospel for your own sake. Be faithful to the gospel for the others and their sake. Outside the church, those who are outside are people who are perishing. They're separated from God. They're dying in their sin. They're on a road that leads to hell. And there are people you know who fall into this category. People at work, people at school, people in your neighborhood. And the adversary is waging war. And one of his clearest aims is to keep you silent. There's a war about this going on inside the church. We, we need to be faithful for others inside the church. Church in Western Europe and the United States is littered with churches that used to preach the gospel and hold fast the word. And since then, all sorts of people and churches have wandered in all kinds of liberal theology. We need to be warned, and we need to ensure that we don't fall under this category. I came under some amazing statistics that have to do with sharing the gospel. <clears throat> it, the, the data and the article had something to do with the title, Winning Someone to Christ. Well, I don't like that term, and I'll deal with that in a minute. I don't win somebody to Christ. But I'm, it's their, their article, so I'm going to use their term. And what they say is, 95% of Christians never have won a person or led a person to Christ. Now, there can be a lot of discussion about what's going on with that number. And in a way, uh, part of my response to the number is, well, that's up to God. 
not up to you. The question is, have you shared the truth? Have you proclaimed the gospel? That's your job. You don't save people. God does. But have you been proclaiming? And if you're only going to proclaim the truth once a year, well, you're probably not going to experience the joy of seeing somebody come to the Lord. 80% of the people, Christians, do not consistently witness for Christ. And this next one just blew me away. And it came from a survey in 2021. 70% of born-again Christians say Jesus is not the only way to God. Can you believe that? And if, and if that many Christians really believe that, then whether or not they witness to somebody doesn't matter because there's other ways for that to happen. Right? It's a horrible statistic. Millennials are coming up through the ranks and a lot of that number the larger percentage is millennials. 69% of Americans self-identify as Christians. Self-identify, now that doesn't mean they are. But only 9% possess a biblical worldview. How in blazes are we going to ever walk wisely and have an opportunity to share the gospel with credibility if we don't even have a biblical worldview. Hello, what is going on in the church today? That's horrible. We need to be careful with each other to encourage each other in the faith, and we need to be helping each other to make sure we have a good biblical worldview, and that we're willing to walk wisely every day, not just Sundays and Wednesdays. Timothy kind of knew how big the task was and how unable he was to carry it out. And so it's interesting when Paul ends, he says, grace be with you. You need grace to be able to do this. Now there's ways to, to share and witness and evangelize, and there are numerous different procedures and approaches, and you've got the four spiritual laws, you've got the bridge illustration, uh, you've got the Billy Graham approach to evangelism, you've got, um, uh, what was the one from uh, the guy from Florida? Uh, another form of evangelism coming out of, out of that church. A lot, of different, a lot of different ways we could witness and and shared the faith. And I think you just you got to be a little bit careful about just picking some process or procedure and then starting to throw it at somebody and think that the gospel is going to stick. Doesn't mean it wouldn't. That's up to God. But be careful. I, one way that is useful is to be able to share what's happened to you and what you experienced, but some people make the experience more important than the truth and it becomes an emotional gospel rather than a true gospel. Some evangelisms form become ego-focused. Fo ego it's the God has a plan for your life and it's a good plan and all kinds of good things will happen if you put your faith and trust in him. And parentheses, people think that includes health and wealth. Another thing you have to be careful of is expedience evangelism, which is 
high-pressure tactics, manipulation, cleverness, forcing a commitment. You don't want to do that. You're not making a sale. You're not getting a notch on your belt because somebody came to the Lord. It isn't how it works. That isn't how it should work. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he who is wise wins souls. Proverbs 11.30. Have you asked for wisdom lately? All these passages talk about wisdom as part of what we need to be doing. So pray. Pray for open doors. Walk in wisdom. And when the doors open, go through the door with humility. To summarize here, our witness should always be gracious. Charming is possible. Charming may not even be the right word but not crossing the line into compromise. We should have a salt or a pungency to our sharing of the gospel. A flavor worthy to savor. And something I think is very important. Not everyone hears the gospel the same way. Now, the content and the core issues in the gospel need to be consistent, but not everybody is the same. We have to have a perceptive and discerning answer in according to the unique circumstances of each individual. I don't think I've ever shared the gospel the same way twice. I may have done it a little bit at the beginning because... In my back pocket, I had the bridge illustration. And so I was like, okay, if I'm going to witness somebody, i got to do the bridge. And so somehow I figure out a way to get the bridge into the conversation. And the bridge is going to save them. Every single person has got different problems, different issues, different needs, different characteristics. You need to try and be listening and watching and learning about that person as much as you're trying to tell that person something. And if you're doing that, as you're listening and you're learning, if in your back pocket you have three or four ways of sharing the gospel, you let the Spirit tailor what you're going to say to that person with the gospel for them. Not for the masses, for them. And you let the Spirit apply it to their heart. You don't apply it to their heart. The Spirit does. Right? And so I'm hoping to exhort and encourage you to be doing that in the weeks ahead. First, pray. Pray for an open door. Just this week, do nothing but pray. Well, pray for other things too, but. Pray every day that you would get an opportunity, one, not five or ten or a hundred people, just one person that you want the door open, that the Lord will open it and the Holy Spirit will give you what you need to respond. That's it. That's your homework. Okay?
Now, there are some other examples that we can think about before we go to communion here. I mentioned this last time when we did the Ephesians passage. I said, <clears throat> Dave's in this battlefield on the front line with the community vet care ministry that he does here on Saturdays. And he does it on some other days occasionally in other locations. <clears throat> and uh, he needs some fellow soldiers. Adam, Adam the Howell, uh, and Marsha have been spending a lot of time with him helping do that. And uh, one of the things that we've been talking about is the possibility of having some of those individuals in our homes for a meal. Not big groups, just one, one person. Uh, and what we think will probably be the best way to do that is sometime in the near future, we hope to have a dinner. And we have did this once before. Where's Dave? Once or twice before? Twice. And uh, we're going we're gonna to need some people to be part of that dinner to help serve these people and to sit down at their table, <clears throat> not in our clique over in another table at their table, and try to get to know them and learn something about them. Adam has been calling around, following up a lot of the clients, and there are over a thousand of them, and they're deciding there are some that seem to be perhaps more amenable, and they're calling and doing a follow-up. Adam's doing a follow-up, right? on a lot of those people. And so you're kind of tracking and noting some people where there might be the potential for some interest. We need some people eventually to help follow up with that interest. So you be thinking. You be thinking about, would you be willing to walk through an open door if Adam and Dave and Marcia get a name of somebody eventually who wants to go visit a home, that you'd be willing to do that. And then you tell Adam, here I am, send me. Okay? And sometime over the next six months, we'll hope to see that that unfolds. There's another example. Dave's looking for a couple of people to help navigate the nearby homeowners' websites or online chats, or <clears throat> uh, Facebook pages, if you will. So what's he after? Well, what he would like to see more of is that this church can participate in various ways in neighborhoods surrounding this church to help various people, like widows, or single people who need help with various things, and that we'd be willing to step up and help them out. And maybe a door will open or an opportunity will happen because of that kind of assistance. So if you're interested in helping with something like that, you go see the wolf man. Here's another example. And this one I really like. Doug has shared this a number of times. Doug and Kim uh, take walks almost every day. And that's, that could be true for a lot of us. Take a walk. You need some exercise. And he walks the neighborhood. And so when they walk the neighborhood, what they're finding is they're meeting people in the neighborhood that they never met before. And they are starting to till the ground so that a seed can be planted 
by starting to create some kind of relationship. And they're doing this all the time. And he gets real creative with it. So one time he's walking through the neighborhood. He sees this lady. She's having trouble pulling her trash down to the road. He runs up there and says, can I help you? Well, we could do that, couldn't we? Do we think about doing that? No. We just drive by and and go, okay, I know what that's like. <laughs> but he, is, he has helped out with that lady a couple of times in that regard. And he's looking for a door that will open up with an opportunity for that to happen. I joined a tennis team when I came here with the idea that I need to play tennis to get exercise, but I want to meet people. And I want to meet people so that I can have an opportunity to witness or invite them to a neighborhood Bible study. <clears throat> and if I don't know them and they don't know me, they're, they're not going to come, right? So I made a very deliberate choice to do that. Kim, Doug, myself, we're all in a homeowner's board association. And sometimes that can be a little time-consuming, but you know what it does? It opens up opportunities with people that you haven't met before to share. Now, you may not share at a board meeting, but very quickly with my situation, people find out, oh, you're going to Guatemala, you can't come to the meeting. I said, yeah, what are you going in Guatemala for? I want to go through that door. Right? You get it? Now, the point, the point is, you don't need to create or have special events for evangelism to occur. Your schedules are so busy already, you wouldn't go to it if we had it. But if you start to think about, well, what are the things that are happening in my life on a daily basis that I can start to leverage looking for open doors, knocking on doors, in order to share the gospel. One person at a time. I want you to think about that. There are other, other scenarios and examples, but time is not in our favor this morning. So, I just hope that the two things you walk away with this morning, the keys to what this was about is, the Word is telling us, pray for open doors. And then walk your life wisely in wisdom, looking for opportunities so that if you are spending time in the Word, if you are studying the Word, and if you are interfacing and being part of the local body, your life is more likely to reflect salt. And so when you're expressing things and talking to people, you will be more gracious. And then when those opportunities come up, you will be more likely and prepared to share the gospel. Amen?